word now. We're going to read from uh, Luke chapter 7 this morning. We spent uh, some time last week uh, looking at giving and, and in particular kind of giving of finances and why we do that and, and how we're meant to do it and, and what it means. Um, that was kind of preparing our hearts for our day of giving today. And as we have been bringing our offerings, I want us to look this morning at uh, this beautiful passage of scripture that shows us um, just the, the heart of worship from uh, this woman uh, that we're going to read off in Luke chapter 7. So Luke 7 verse 36 down to verse 50. Let's read God's word together just now. One of the Pharisees asked him to eat with him, and he went into the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. And behold, a woman of the city who was a sinner, when she learned that he was reclining at the table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of ointment. And standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head and kissed his feet and anointed them with the ointment. Now when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is who is touching him, for she is a sinner. And Jesus answered him, saying, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he answered, Say it, teacher. A certain moneylender had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. When they could not pay, he cancelled the debt of both. Now which one of them will love him more? Simon answered, the one I suppose for whom he cancelled the larger debt. And he said to him, you have judged rightly. Then turning toward the woman, he said to Simon, do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet, but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but from the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore, I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But he who is forgiven little loves little. And he said to her, your sins are forgiven. Then those who were at the table with him began saying amongst themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? And he said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Amen. Amen. One of the things that Luke does in his gospel is he looks to address and answer this question, who is this Jesus? It's one of the things that we see time and time again in Luke's gospel in particular. He's he's answering this question about who is this Jesus? And as Luke looks to answer that, I want to ask us a question. What do we bring to this Jesus? What do we bring to Jesus? Luke is showing us and telling us who this Jesus is, and we're going to hear who he is. But I want to ask us a question, as a church, as individuals, as families, what do we bring to Jesus? What do we bring to Jesus? So Jesus is invited round for a dinner. Um, he's invited to this dinner party by this Pharisee who we read of. His name is Simon. And this is a bit strange because the Pharisees, they didn't really like Jesus. They were very hostile towards him. So why was Jesus invited? Well, we don't know because scripture doesn't tell us. There's different speculation. Maybe Jesus had been teaching at the the, the synagogue that day and it was kind of custom to invite the the, the teacher or um, around to your house afterwards for for food. We just don't know. We're not told in any detail why Jesus was invited, but it is a bit of a strange invitation. But Jesus nonetheless takes him up and and goes round for this dinner party. 
And to this dinner party, this woman um, turns up. And we're told that she is a woman of the city. And this most likely means that she was a prostitute. So this prostitute turns up at this Pharisee's dinner party. A way that we might be able to, and I'm not saying that presbytery is full of Pharisees, so don't hear me wrong. But can you imagine there's a presbytery meeting happening and the most known prostitute in our community turned up to the event. That's kind of what this would have been like. The religious elite were there. They were, they were sitting having dinner with the teacher, with Jesus. And this well-known woman of the city turns up. Her reputation went before her. Her reputation went before her. She hears that there's a party happening. And she would have known that she was not welcome here. She would have known because of who she was, what she did, things she had done, and who was there. She would have known she was not welcome at this dinner party. Now, it wasn't uh, unusual for people to just turn up and have a wee nosy to see what was going on. Again, that happened at these dinner parties. That people could kind of pop their head in and see what was happening. You could kind of go and spectate. I was going to say how weird would that have been back then. But we kind of do the same now with uh, Gogglebox. Or we watch people watching TV. So it's really not that different really. You would go around and you'd watch these people having dinner. She's She's not concerned though with anything that's going on. She doesn't care who's there. She doesn't care what they're going to say. She didn't even care what course they were on in their meal. There was only one thing she was concerned with. And that was Jesus was there. That Jesus was at this dinner party. I wonder why you come here. Why do you come to church on a Sunday? Is it because you've always done it? Is it because of who is here? Your friends? You always have. It's what you do on a Sunday morning. Maybe you like the minister. I I don't know. But I hope that we would come with the same agenda of this woman here, this woman of the city, that we come with one agenda, one reason. And that's because Jesus is here. Because he's in our midst. And we gather to meet him together. She didn't care about the setting. All she cared about was Jesus was there. I love her hunger. How beautiful is her hunger, her desire to be close to Jesus. She bursts in in the middle of this dinner party. And, you know, I I, I can't stress this enough, how many eyes would have turned to her, how uncomfortable this would have been for her. She didn't care because she wanted to draw close to Jesus. How desperate are you to be near to Jesus this morning? How much of a hunger do you have to be in his presence? What does she bring with her? We read that she brings this alabaster jar. Our translation in the ESV would say it's an alabaster flask of ointment. The kind of closer translation or the better translation would be it was an alabaster jar with perfumed oil. And this would have been an expensive um, um, alabaster perfumed oil that she was bringing with her. This is perfumed oil that would have been very costly. There's another... um, we read in the other Gospels, in, in Matthew, Mark, and John, of, of a similar thing that happens where we read of, of Mary, and we're told her name in, in, in John, and we're told that the expense of it would it have been. But actually, scholars would say that this was a different one. This is another time that this took 
place. But whether that's the case, we, we don't know. But this morning, we're looking at this woman who comes before Jesus to bring this alabaster jar full of perfumed oil that was very costly, very expensive. And the thing about the alabaster jar was, you know, it's not like I had a lid on it. The way it worked was the neck kind of went up the way. And to get the content out of the jar, you had to break the neck. You had to break the jar to be able to pour out its contents. So once it was opened, it was opened. Once it was opened, you couldn't reseal it. This was a sacrificial offering that this woman brought. An uncomfortable offering because of the situation she was bringing herself into. But a sacrificial offering as well because this was costly. This was an all-in offering. An all-in offering. She was basically saying, I'm holding nothing back here. I'm pouring everything I have out at the feet of Jesus. And she comes into this dinner party. She doesn't care what's happening. And she begins to weep. We read, she begins to weep. And look at how over the top this woman's worship was. She begins to weep. She brings this alabaster flask of ointment and standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears, wiped them with her hair on her head and kissed his feet and then anointed them with the ointment. How over the top is this woman's worship? Could you imagine being at this dinner party? Maybe just digging into the second course. Your roast beef has just been served at the table, nice and hot. And all of a sudden, this woman who you know rocks in. This woman with a terrible reputation for the things she had done, which went before her. She comes in and she begins to cry and wet the person you're sitting beside's feet with her tears. So much so, she has to start to dry them with her hair. Could you actually imagine, try and just visualize what that would have been like. Honestly, what would you do next Sunday if in the middle of our service, I've just begun preaching and somebody who's notorious in the east end of Glasgow bursts through the door crying out, what do I have to do to be saved? I need to be near to Jesus. What would we do as a congregation? What would our reaction be? I would hazard a guess that some of us would be uncomfortable. What are they doing here? Do you not know what they've done? They're a dangerous person. Oh, hang on, Norman was just starting because they're not coming 25 minutes' time. We're just at the beginning of our sermon. Would we be annoyed that they disrupted things? Then surely that's what we want. We want the lost drawing near to Jesus. Having such a desire and a hunger to be in his presence. That they're happy to disrupt what was taking place. Just to be near to him. Friends, the only thing we can take to heaven with us is people. It's the only thing we can take to heaven with us. Not money, not cars, not furniture, nothing material. We get distracted by material things, by earthly pleasures. And what I love is that in John's account, when he's speaking about this this other woman who we're told her name is Mary, when she comes and she breaks the, 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 the ointment and the perfumed oil at the feet of Jesus, we read in John chapter 12, verse 3, that the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. 
The house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. Friends, don't underestimate what worship does. Don't underestimate what it does. It's not just a a wee thing we do to fill and bulk out our service. It is a powerful weapon. Where we're declaring the truth of the kingdom, the truth of our king, the truth of his word. We are enthroning him to his rightful place as the king of kings and lord of lords. Don't underestimate what worship does. When we give financially, it isn't about us fundraising. Today's not been a fundraiser for the bank account in Sandy Hills. That's not what this is about. Singing isn't just us saying some nice words to some catchy tunes. You know, the ones that make us think of back in the day when we were growing up in Sunday school. When we serve, we aren't just looking to fill some time. I'm sure the AV team could find something better to do on their Thursday night and maybe even their Sunday morning and sit and press some buttons. That's not what service is about. It's all worship. We're enthroning him. We're enthroning Jesus as king in this place. We look to bless his heart. We look to serve him and his kingdom. We look to declare the truth of who he is in our community. What would it look like for us to be so broken for Jesus? So in love with him. That whatever he asked us to give, we were so cheerful in doing so. Because it's such a delight to be able to serve him. To worship him. To enthrone him. Whatever he asks us to do, that we were just willing to do it. Because actually, it's a delight to serve him. It's a delight to be near him. That actually singing his praise for five minutes at the beginning of our service, and maybe five minutes at the end, that actually, that doesn't quite cut it for us anymore. Because he's so worthy of our praise. The angels have been singing holy, holy, holy for all all eternity. I read this week, they've been singing his praise Forever. And they've not even got past his holiness yet. They've not even got past his holiness yet. Imagine, friends, if our worship began to change the atmosphere in our church, in our lives, in our families, in our communities. I don't know what yesterday has done for our community. Where children were singing, My Lighthouse. I'm going home and one parent texted me saying that the kids had it on Alexa all afternoon since the party and all evening. Worship has taken grip in that home. It's leaked out from here. And that's mission. That's what we're meant to do. It's not meant to be contained within these four walls. And she brings an expensive offering And it's not about the alabaster jar filled with expensive perfumed oil. That's not what it's about. What has been poured out here is her heart. That is what she's pouring out at the feet of Jesus. That is what she's breaking at the feet of Jesus. Everything you have is a gift from God. It's been given to you by him. And it's been given to you for him. And how you steward these things indicates the posture of your heart. So actually, our day of giving, yes, we've been asking people to give some finances. But really, I couldn't care how much comes in today. 
But what I do care about is the posture of our heart here in Sandy Hills. That actually it's broken before Jesus. It's poured out before Jesus. That we hold nothing back for Jesus. That we're all in for Jesus. Just see how over the top this worship is. How uncomfortable it would have been. It says that she's weeping, but actually she is sobbing. She's not just got tears trickling down her. There's so much tears coming out of her eyeballs, her eye sockets, her tear ducts, whatever it comes from, I don't know. That actually Jesus' feet are now drenched. It's at the point where he has to, she has to dry them with her hair. That's how much she is weeping, how much she is crying at the feet of Jesus. Why? Because grace was awakening her heart. Because grace was awakening her heart. See friends, the letting down of her hair was a shameful thing to do. Actually, in biblical times, this would have been grounds for divorce if she'd been married. She doesn't care who's around her. She doesn't care what people are going to think. Do you care what people think about you when you're worshipping Jesus? I know sometimes I do. Oh man, they're going to think I'm weird if I do that. So much to learn from this woman. So much to learn. Her eyes are fixed firmly upon Jesus. She doesn't care about the Pharisees being around her. But we see another heart posture here from the Pharisees. And their eyes aren't fixed on Jesus. Their eyes are fixed on this woman and what she's doing and how uncomfortable it made them feel. I remember before I came to faith, I used to hate happy clappers in church. Why are you lifting your hands? Why are you weeping? Why are you so excited? Just calm down. This is church. Why don't you just calm down? Or, oh, you can't even sing in tune. Just rein it in a wee bit. You can't even clap and beat. What are you doing? Hold it back. Then grace awoke my heart. My eyes aren't fixed on anyone else in this room now. They're fixed on Jesus. She soaked his feet with her tears and dried his feet with her hair. With her hair. Could you imagine women or men here with long hair drying someone's feet with your hair? How over the top is this worship? And she starts to kiss his feet and doesn't stop. She doesn't cease. There's three beautiful words at the end of Psalm 2 that I love. And they say, kiss the sun. Kiss the sun. And the Pharisees, they knew the Old Testament. They should have known Psalm 2. But actually what she's doing is just following what scripture was telling her to do. Kissing the son of God. Kiss the sun. Friends, our world does not need people who know about Jesus. This world doesn't need more people who know about Jesus. What our world needs is people who love Jesus and who love him affectionately, who are passionate in their love, passionate in their pursuit of him. You can be around him These Pharisees knew Jesus. They knew his name. 
They knew that he was some sort of teacher. We read that even the demons know about Jesus. The devil knows who Jesus is. But what this world needs is people who love Jesus. Who passionately love him. You can be around him and not know him. You can be with him and not love him. What we need is more people like this woman. And she could only do this because grace had awoken her heart and she pours out her heart in worship and she offers her alabaster jar in the room. And when that happened, the atmosphere changed. The Pharisees got angry. Can you see what she is doing? Too busy focusing on what was happening rather than on the one who was being worshipped. Could you imagine, friends, like John 12 says, where, where the perfume the, the, it filled the room with its fragrance? Could you imagine such was our offering of worship, that such was the aroma of our worship here in Sandy Hills, that actually it couldn't be contained in here, that it started to seep out the back doors and go onto Bailiston Road, all the way up to Garrow Hill, all the way down to East Bank Primary School, right through Mount Vernon, down through uh, to Shettleston and Sandy Hills and the high-rise flats. Could you imagine if the fragrance of our worship, the fragrance of our offering began to awake people to who Jesus was this woman's a sinner they said or he thought they don't know who this is how dare we limit the amazing grace of the Lord Jesus Christ she is a sinner they said friends aren't we all none of us deserve it how dare we judge a heart's response and worship to grace when you've heard the melody of salvation, when you've heard the melody of salvation and you know that what Jesus has done for you, how can you do anything but dance? Knowing that my chains are gone, that my heart is free, I rose, went forth and followed thee. How can you do anything but smile at the gospel when you know who Jesus is and what he's done for you? How can you do anything but weep? When you catch even the smallest of glimpses of what the mercy of God cost the Son of God. What the mercy and grace of Jesus cost him. It cost him his life. That he went to the cross of Calvary for sinners like me, for sinners like you. How can we do anything but weep and, and just be in awe of what he's done for us? who were so far away from him, who were still his enemies, but he loved us to the point of giving his life on the cross for us. How can we do anything but weep when we say that in my place condemned he stood? Hallelujah, what a savior. And Simon just thinks this. And then Jesus knows what's going on in his heart. And Jesus teach, uses this parable to teach him about forgiveness. About who owed the greater debt and how the one who owed the greater debt would love more. Isn't that interesting? Can I put it this way to you? The more you understand what Jesus has done for you, the more grateful you become of him. Your understanding and your appreciation for your salvation will in turn lead you to love him more. Where we're transformed by the renewing of our mind. The more you realize how much mercy cost, 
how much the mercy cost Jesus, it will lead you to worship him more extravagantly. Not just lip service, not just token gestures, but heartfelt, um, all-in adoration, costly, sacrificial worship. And Jesus says to him, you gave me no water for my feet, which was a common courtesy, which should have been done as being a guest in someone's home. This woman, she's wet my feet with her tears. And she dried them with her hair. Simon, you didn't kiss me. Which would have been, a, a, again, an everyday common practice. When you, greet, when, you, when you saw someone, when you're greeting a friend, you would give them a wee kiss on the cheek. But this woman, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. And it was a sign of common courtesy to anoint a guest's head with olive oil. Simon, you didn't do that either. She's anointed my feet with costly perfumed oil. Do you know what Jesus is showing Simon here? Simon, you have no affection towards me. But this woman has showered me with love and affection. Friends, do you love Jesus this morning? Do you love him? Because if you do, show him. Show him you love him. Do you love Jesus this morning? Because if you do, tell him. Tell him, Jesus, I love you. Thank you for all you've done for me. Every single person at this dinner party came because they were having a party, but she came because she wanted to worship and praise Jesus. She came to adore him with kisses, to honor and glorify him, and came to serve him with her tears her hair, and bless him with her alabaster jar. Friends, do you know what blows my mind? We are on the other side of the cross now. This was before Jesus even went to the cross. How much more over-the-top extravagant worship should we have on this side of the cross, knowing that Jesus has secured our salvation for us? Then just in closing, Jesus says, your sins are forgiven. What came to heart here was the verse from Jeremiah 29. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. We read in verse 50, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. On this Reformation Sunday, justification by faith alone. By faith alone are we saved in the completed work of Jesus Christ. It's funny because Jesus has been talking about love all the time here. But then he says it's your faith that has saved you. She wasn't saved because of the over the top love she was showing towards him. But because of her faith. By faith alone are we justified. But her faith led her to where faith should lead any repentant sinner. To loving the Lord our God with all our heart, all our soul, all our mind, and all our strength. Friends, love is the consequence of your salvation. Not the cause. Love is the fruit of your salvation, not the root. You're saved by faith. And love is the door to sacrificial worship. And do you know what is beautiful? This woman, we don't even know her name. This unnamed woman, we're told about what she had done wrong. We're told about her reputation. We're told about all these things about her, but we don't even know her name. 
that her name is recorded in the Lamb's Book of Life. Her name is recorded and engraved in the palms of her Savior. These Pharisees called her sinner. Jesus called her saved. These Pharisees called her a woman of the city. But now Jesus calls her daughter. This is grace. And because of grace, we come this morning with our day of giving and our offerings. Our alabaster jars and we break them at the feet of Jesus. Friends, you have been saved to worship. That's why you've been created. To enthrone him as king and Lord. He, Jesus says, who has been forgiven much, loves much. Friends, love him with everything you have. Love him with your money. Love him with your time. Love him with your talents. Love him with your voice. Love him with everything you have. And may he find in Sandy Hills a people whose heart are postured before him, breaking out for all in worship. Because, friends, we can say Jesus all for Jesus. Let us pray. Gracious Lord, we thank you for all you've done for us. And we can only come because you came. We can only speak your name, that name that is sweeter than any honey on our lips. Because you first called us by name. You picked us, you chose us, you've redeemed us, you've saved us. And Lord, in turn, we want to worship you. Because you're so worthy of our worship. Father, he who has been forgiven much will love much. Help us to understand how much we have been forgiven. What the cross cost you, Jesus. And in turn, would this be a place, would this be a house that is known for sacrificial worship? Jesus, all for Jesus. We love you. We worship and adore you. Would you glorify your name in all the earth? Amen. Amen. Our concluding item of